0: This is the Dogs on the Hill Podcast with your host, Reeves Fissakerly. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you so much for tuning in to this new installment of the Dogs on the Hill Podcast. I'm your host, Reeves Fissakerly. Today is Monday, March 20th, and we got some college basketball to talk about. The NCAA tournament has just completed the round of 64 and the round of 32, and we have our Sweet 16 for the 2023 NCAA men's tournament that will start to see play this upcoming weekend. In the South, we have Alabama, San Diego State, and Creighton, Princeton. In the Midwest, Houston, Miami, and Xavier, Texas. In the East, Florida Atlantic and Tennessee, Kansas State and Michigan State, and lastly in the West, Arkansas, Yukon, and Gonzaga, UCLA. This year, only two teams who are number one seeds will make the Sweet 16, Alabama and Houston. Purdue loses to FDU in the round of 64, and Kansas loses to Arkansas by one point. In the round of 32. Only two two seeds make the Sweet 16. Arizona lost in a massive upset to Princeton. And Marquette lost in the round of 32 to Michigan State. 16 seed Fairleigh Dickinson, FDU, defeats Purdue in the first round of the tournament, 63-58. I've been hearing the talk That asks the question, is FDU's win over Purdue the biggest upset in men's basketball history? Or recent history, let's leave it at that. Is FDU's win over Purdue finally the one that we say tops University of Maryland Baltimore campus UMBC over Virginia in 2018? And for me... This is an obvious answer. Of course not. No, absolutely not. We look at this UMBC win that happened five years ago now. UMBC was the number 64 seed playing Virginia, the number one overall seed. And not only did UMBC win, they won by 20 points. That game was tied at halftime. And then UMBC scored 53 points in the second half compared to Virginia's 54 in the entire game. When you look at FDU Purdue, yes, that game was also very close at halftime. FDU was leading 32 to 31. And then the final score, 63 to 58. That's a solid win. You win by five points as a 16 seed over a number one seed. That's still a big upset. I mean, it's the 16th seed that beat the one seed. So, is it one of the biggest upsets of all time? Yes, I would. I think that is very fair to say. Is it the biggest? No. UMBC won by 20 points over the number one seed in the entire tournament. Purdue is a team that I heard many analysts say could very well be the first number one seed to lose. And what happened? They were the first number one seed to lose. The other three number one seeds made it into the second round. Now, Kansas did lose in the round of 32, but three number one seeds made it past round one. The one that didn't, Purdue. I don't think that this win can surpass the UMBC win because when a person asks if any new big upset win is the biggest in men's college basketball tournament history, without fail, UMBC, Virginia, is thrown into the conversation. The question is always structured, is this upset bigger than the UMBC one? And for me, we're establishing UMBC as the standard, the ultimate win. And because that narrative still exists, no, it's not. It was a 20-point win, from the 64 seed over the number one seed. And I I understand the argument that, well, UMBC didn't go on to win in the next round. They lost to Kansas State 43 to 50 in round two, and Kansas State would go on into the Elite Eight. Or what about St. Peter's? They were a 15 seed, they beat Kentucky, a number two seed by six points, and they went to the Elite Eight. So is that the biggest upset of all time, St. Peter's against Kentucky? I still think no. I think you could argue St. Peter's had the biggest run, the biggest upset run. St. Peter's had the biggest Cinderella story. They were a 15 seed that beat Blue Blood Kentucky in the round of 64 and went all the way to the Elite Eight before losing to North Carolina by 20 points a team that would ultimately make the national championship and lose. But single game, the biggest upset, one game in men's basketball history still has to be UMBC over Virginia. The Arkansas Razorbacks are an eight seed in this tournament. They won in the round of 32 against Illinois, 73-63, to and they just won in the round of 32 against Kansas, the number one seed, 72 to 71. This is the third year in a row that the Razorbacks have made the Sweet 16. And in those two prior years, 2021 and 2022, they made it to the Elite Eight before losing. Teams that they beat in that stretch. 2021, Colgate, 14 seed, Texas Tech, 6 seed, Oral Roberts, 15 seed. Then they lost to the number one seed, Baylor. 2022, they won against 13 seed, Vermont, 12 seed, New Mexico State, the one seed, Gonzaga, and then lost to two seed, Duke. This year, won against nine seed, Illinois, one seed, Kansas, and they will face number four seed, UConn, this weekend, in the Sweet 16. Call it a hunch. You can call it whatever you want. But I feel really good about this Arkansas team. I think this Arkansas team is going to be a team that will be a pretty nasty opponent to play against going into these next couple rounds of the tournament. I just said this is the third year in a row that they made the Sweet 16. So most of these players on this team have been in this situation before. And they have two players currently on their roster who are expected to be lottery picks in the NBA draft coming up. So let's just look at who they would have to face. Assuming they beat UConn, they would play the winner of UCLA, Gonzaga. They beat Gonzaga last year. So I have no reason to believe that they couldn't beat Gonzaga this year. Gonzaga also just played a very close game against TCU. They were down... For a good amount of time in the second half. Now, the Horned Frogs never really ran away from Gonzaga with the game. But Gonzaga only won that game by three points, 84-81. to 81. Arkansas has played Kansas and Illinois. They beat Illinois by 10 and Kansas by 1. Gonzaga has played Grand Canyon and TCU. They beat Grand Canyon by 12, so you can't knock them for that. But they only beat TCU by 3. In my opinion... I see Arkansas beating a one seed by one point and that one seed is Kansas as bigger or more impressive than Gonzaga only beating TCU by three. So if it's not Gonzaga that Arkansas plays in the Elite Eight, it would be UCLA. UCLA beat UNC Asheville 86-53, to so they absolutely stomped them in the first round and then they beat Northwestern 68-63 to in round two. So I can't really knock UCLA for either of those wins. But I still just see Arkansas as the better team. Out of these four, Arkansas, UConn, Gonzaga, and UCLA, these are four good basketball teams. So the West division looks kind of scary. And what's interesting is those four teams, none of them are the one seed. Arkansas beat the one seed. So it's the two, the three, the four, and the eight. But I just really like Arkansas. I keep citing their run because this is their third Sweet 16 in a row, and if they beat UConn, it'll be the third Elite Eight in the row. I'm a big believer that experience means more than anything in sports. If you've been there before, I like your chances of doing it again. I just really like the position that Arkansas is in with the teams that, they're go- with the teams that they have to go up against and the players on their roster. Let's assume they win the West Division and they go to the Final Four. They would play either Houston, Miami, Xavier, or Texas. I don't know. I think they look good against those guys too. Maybe Houston as a one seed is kind of scary. Xavier as a Big East school, probably pretty scary. But But I definitely think Arkansas could compete with them. I just think when you combine experience with talent, And with big wins, Arkansas is going to be riding a big high after beating Kansas. I think they're a good team because I think Arkansas knows they're good, and they definitely know what I have been saying. They definitely know their track record, their recent history in the tournament. I mean, a good number of those guys have probably played in both of those prior tournaments. Arkansas is, if not the team I will be paying the most attention to, one of the teams I will be paying a lot of attention to. It's pretty exciting to see an SEC team consistently making some noise in the tournament year in and year out. It's been a while since we've seen Kentucky do that. Alabama looks to be pretty scary. Tennessee is still alive. But watch out for those Hogs. Eight seed, you might think that they come out of nowhere, but the Hogs have been playing well for the last couple of years, and I don't see it stopping this year. Speaking of upsets, there were a lot of them this year. And I don't want to cover all of them because, well, there were a lot of them. But one of the biggest ones to me is not FDU over Purdue. It's not Furman over Virginia. Which, by the way, can I just comment? I feel like Virginia has one of two options in these tournaments. They either lose before the Sweet 16 or they win the whole tournament. They lost to UMBC. They lost to Ohio. They lost to Furman. But they won the whole thing In 2019, regardless, the biggest upset to me is Princeton over Arizona, the 15 seed over the two seed. Princeton's now in the Sweet 16. They beat Missouri and they will face Creighton in the Sweet 16. I created a spreadsheet where I plugged in some statistical rankings for all, at the time, 68, when the play-ins hadn't occurred yet, teams in the tournament. And the stats that I looked at were points per game, field goal percentage, points allowed per game, rebounds and blocks. Just five pretty standard stats. I got all the numbers from ESPN's stat page. And what I did was I ranked teams based off what placement. So for example, if we use today's figures, the top five leaders in points per game are Toledo, excuse me, Gonzaga, Toledo, Oral Roberts, Alabama, and Southern Utah. I would give Gonzaga one, Toledo two, Oral Roberts three, Alabama four, et cetera. I did that with all of the teams involved for all five of those categories. I then took all of those values and I found their average and their median. And I sorted from smallest to largest by median to give an overall ranking, a general look at teams, that statistically looked to be best to worst. The average was just used as a tiebreaker if the medians were the same number, and I liked to prioritize the median because it excludes all outliers. When I did that, Arizona was the number one team. I was pretty surprised to figure this out too, but simply put, when you use those numbers at that time and you did the formula that I just said, Arizona was the team that the numbers said was the best, or I'll just put it this way, had the smallest overall value as the median, which means was the best. So I thought, okay, interesting. But Arizona is a two seed. They're usually a part of the NCAA tournament. They're in Alabama's side of the bracket. Alabama's a pretty scary team, but maybe Arizona goes on a run and they surprise us all. Basically, I thought it sounded a little strange to put Arizona as the best in the NCAA tournament winner, but I was willing to go for it. You know, why not? Let's take a risk. Let's see what happens. And so I had one bracket, Arizona winning the entire thing, and what do you know? They lose to Princeton by four points in the first round. So to me, maybe it's just because I had a little personal experiment going on with this tournament and with this team. But I was just floored that Arizona lost that game. And not only that, Princeton wins by four points against Arizona, it goes into the round of 32 against Missouri, who, okay, yes, Missouri was the 7th seed and Utah State was the 10th seed, but I saw the money line favored Utah State. The stat bubble that ESPN creates favored Utah State. My little algorithm favored Utah State. Point is, to me, it just seemed like Utah State was the favorite to win that game, but Missouri won by 11. Anyways, Princeton then beats Missouri 78-63. to They won by 15 points. And now they're in the Sweet 16 against Creighton, who is a really good basketball school. But considering what Princeton has done, Princeton might make the Elite Eight. That upset was just definitely the biggest to me because the experiment that I did involving just pure numbers and stats indicated that Arizona would be the team to beat and Princeton knocked them out in the first round and my bracket got busted. I had two brackets. Neither one of them are doing that well. I mean, the first game of the entire tournament was Maryland-West Virginia and in both of them, I had West Virginia winning. So probably shouldn't have done that. Now, ESPN the past few years has allowed players of the men's tournament challenge a second chance bracket when the Sweet 16 starts. I have been waiting for that to be posted so I can do my second chance bracket, and it is nowhere to be found. I have not found it yet. So hopefully that becomes a thing that I can do in the next couple of days. I want to look at some money lines. The first slate of games... Friday, March 24th, we have Miami, Houston. Houston is a seven-point favorite. Princeton, Creighton. Creighton is a 10-point favorite. Xavier, Texas. Texas is a four-point favorite. And Alabama, San Diego State, that's the one that's gonna kick it all off. Alabama is a seven-point favorite. Vegas is just favoring the top seed in all of these matchups, which is fine, I guess. I mean, trust the seeding. But the biggest one here for me that I would look out for is Creighton Princeton. They have Creighton winning by 10. The spread is nine and a half, the money line uh, plus 360 on Princeton. I don't think you would want to put Princeton as a team projected to lose by 10 points. I know it's Creighton. Creighton is a fantastic basketball team, they're pretty much always in the tournament. They usually have really good runs. But as I just stated, Princeton beat the number two seed Arizona by four points and then beats Missouri in the next round by 15. I still would think Creighton would win this game. But by 10 points, don't count Princeton out. I think this could be a one, two, three-point game. Definitely go against the spread here. Creighton by 10 against a Princeton team that is just on a tear right now. For them to be a 10-point underdog is just crazy to me. Creighton is probably the best of those three teams, but 10-point underdog, I don't like that. I would definitely go against the spread. And as I'm looking at the schedule now, I realize I was just totally wrong. There's a whole day before that. I thought it was Friday, Saturday. It's not. Sweet 16 is Thursday, Friday. So, Thursday, March 23rd, we have Michigan State, Kansas State, This is interesting. Michigan State is a seven seed. Kansas State is a three seed. And the spread is Michigan State by one. So Arkansas, UConn. UConn is a three and a half point favorite. Florida, Atlantic, Tennessee. Tennessee is five and a half point. Gonzaga, UCLA. UCLA is a one and a half point favorite. I definitely think the most interesting spread here is Michigan State over Kansas State. I know it's one point, but it's still the underdog. Uh, ESPN's matchup predictor is 50.3% in favor of Kansas State and 49.7% in favor of Michigan State, so that looks like to be a pretty even game. UConn, Arkansas, the numbers are favoring UConn, 66 to 34 is the ESPN analytics matchup predictor spread, three and a half for UConn, the money line minus 175 UConn, but I'm high on the Hogs right now, so I'm I'm taking the Hogs. Tennessee FAU heavily favors Tennessee, 84.5% on the matchup predictor. Money line is minus 240. I think, yeah, I think Tennessee definitely wins that. But the one that I'm most interested in, Gonzaga, UCLA, three seed, two seed. Both of these teams have made a lot of noise in the tournament in the last few years. I would definitely say these are two basketball powerhouses in the current men's basketball world, most definitely. UCLA is a one-and-a-half point favorite. The money line is minus 120. Matchup predictor, 65.9% in favor of UCLA, 34.1% in favor of Gonzaga. I think this could be a Gonzaga upset. I do. I think we could see an Arkansas-Gonzaga rematch this year in the Elite Eight. Maybe I just really want that to happen, so I'm channeling it. But this is going to be a really good game. Gonzaga-UCLA, I anticipate, will be a very good game. Before I sign off, I do want to hit some NFL news, just very briefly. I want to talk about the state of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because that team looks to be in some trouble. 2020 season, first year Brady's a buck, comes in, wins the Super Bowl, incredible year. So much fun to watch, loved it. 2021, really good team, much better regular season than the year prior. One of the best offenses in the league. Lose in the second round to the Los Angeles Rams on a last-minute play, like down to the wire, and the Rams ended up winning the Super Bowl. 2022, I don't know what happened to this team. Wow. It was bad. Losing record, make the playoffs as a division winner, get, I mean, pretty, get they get beat pretty bad by the Cowboys in the first round. And that's that. Brady retires. So the Buccaneers are looking for a quarterback. I talked about the possibility of Leonard Fournette being cut. It's officially happened. Leonard Fournette has been cut. Tight end Cameron Brate. I don't know if they're saying he's been cut. To my understanding, he's just not re-signing. But he is leaving the team in free agency. So they've, they're down a QB. They're down their starting running back. They're down... I don't know if you want to say they're starting tight end, but in my opinion, most definitely their number one tight end. And what have they do? What have they done to replace them? Nothing for Bray, nothing for, for Nett, but they did sign a quarterback. Tampa Bay Buccaneers signed Baker Mayfield on a one year deal worth about eight million dollars, not guaranteed, but that's the total worth of that contract. That surprises me. Not on the Buccaneers side of things. They definitely needed a quarterback. The only quarterback that they had on roster was Kyle Trask, and I've brought this up so many times on this show. I wasn't super high on Kyle Trask, and it sounded like management was not that high on him either. But I didn't expect them to bring in Baker Mayfield because I didn't expect the Rams to let Baker Mayfield go. It was I was under the impression that Baker Mayfield and Sean McVay got along really well, and I thought Baker played pretty well in L.A., I think Baker is a quarterback who receives a lot of hate. And, okay, he's got a 500 record. But I will continue to cite that he took the Cleveland Browns, a team that had not made the playoffs in almost two decades, to the playoffs, beat the Steelers in round one, a Big Ben Steelers team in Big Ben's last game of his career. So that's a huge division rivalry win for you. And almost beat the Chiefs in the second round. The Chiefs ultimately went to the Super Bowl that year. So I think Baker is a very good quarterback. He was exceptional in college, most definitely. And I still think he has enough in the tank to be a really good quarterback in the NFL. And I thought we were going to see some career redemption with the Rams. And he played well, in my opinion. So I expected him to be there. I don't know what's going to happen with Matthew Stafford, but I was under the impression that Matthew Stafford was going to retire or just leave And Baker Mayfield would take over. But it looks like Matthew Stafford's going to stay because I haven't really heard anything about Matthew Stafford. But regardless, I just didn't expect him to go to the Buccaneers because I didn't expect him to leave the Rams. But I do think Baker Mayfield is an upgrade over Kyle Trask for sure. We've seen what Baker Mayfield can do. At least you know what you're getting into with Baker. You don't really know that much with Kyle Trask other than the reports that I'm hearing that they're just not high on him. So the Buccaneers lineup essentially looks like Baker Mayfield at QB, and then you have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Looks like Rashad White's going to be the number one running back on that team. And then as for your offensive line, that was a problem this past season, protecting Brady, which is definitely not a problem that you want to have. That's a pretty horrible problem to have. But they traded away one of their better linemen, Shaq Mason, to the Texans. Now a trade is fine. Trades happen all the time. But the thing that rubs me the wrong way about this trade is the compensation that they got back. The Bucs traded Shaq Mason and a seventh-round pick to the Texans in exchange for a sixth-round pick. For me, that easily is a win for the Texans. They gave up nothing for a quality lineman, and they even got random draft capital for it too. Now I hear you say, oh, it's a seventh round pick. Yeah, but it, this was not a one for one. I mean, I still would not have liked this deal if it was Shaq Mason for a sixth, but the fact that the Buccaneers basically had to pay the Texans for this, they paid more in value. They gave them a roster player and a late round draft pick in exchange for a late round draft pick that's not as late as the prior one, but it's still pretty late. So essentially, the Buccaneers just gave away Shaq Mason for such little value. I'm not a fan of that. I'm really not. I don't know what the Bucks are doing right now. I have no idea what the thought process is. More people are walking out the door than are coming in. And when those players leave, there's almost nothing in return. Brady, retired. Fournette, cut. Bray, cut. That's three players right there. You got nothing for. And then Shaq Mason, sure, you got a sixth-round pick in return, but you gave away a seventh for it. You just basically did a pick swap. That's so late in the draft, it doesn't really mean anything. And now one of your better offensive linemen is not on the team anymore. So I have no idea what the Buccaneers' plan is. They're definitely not going to be a playoff team. I don't want to say for a long time, so I'll just focus on the current. They're not going to be a playoff team this year, and I would be surprised if they were the following year. In their division, they have the Panthers, the Saints, and the Falcons. The NFC South was terrible last year. We know that. But I think the Saints are easily the favorite to win that division now. They definitely have the best quarterback in that division. It's just crazy to me how the Bucs went from Super Bowl contender to, or excuse me, they went from a Super Bowl winner to a better regular season team, solid postseason, just kind of an unfortunate last-minute loss, to the worst offense probably in the entire league last year to now virtually no offense. The line took a hit. The running back took a hit. Tight ends took a hit. Quarterback took a hit. I don't know what's going on. I really don't know what's going on. There's nothing comforting that I could say to a Buccaneers fan right now. And I'm sorry, that sounds grim. But I don't think there's anything to get excited about with this Bucs team. They still have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, so that's cool, I guess. But they had them before, and the Bucs were still bad. I'm thinking like pre-Brady, Jameis Winston era, that was not a good Buccaneers team. That defense was phenomenal. That defense was really good. And they had players like Evans and Godwin. But that team didn't win. And I feel like this, whatever the Buccaneers look like by the time the preseason and the regular season starts, it's not going to be a very attractive roster. If we're going to set an over-under of 8.5 for wins... It's definitely going to be under. They're most definitely going to have a... They went 8-9 and nine this year. They're definitely going to have a worse record than that. I, I think the Bucks are going to be a 5-6 or six win team at best. That is going to do it for this installment of the Dogs on the Hill podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Got a lot of basketball to watch at the end of this week. Still patrolling some news cycles in the NFL, NHL, everything... I will keep you informed. I hope to have you back next time.